Before the start of this next episode, I wanted to thank you all for taking the time to listen, comment, share and give me feedback on this podcast, Protect and Serve. When I set out on this journey to create a new and fresh podcast on the lives of our men and women in policing, I would never have thought it would have received as much support as it has. My goal now is to get more and more people to support the show, so I in turn can support two incredible organisations, PTSD 999 and Trojan Wellbeing, both supporting men and women of our emergency services who are affected by mental health from the challenges they face in their professional lives. So please, if you haven't already, like, follow and share the show so we can all help those that help us when we need it most. It means so much to me and it means so much to them. Thank you. My name is Oliver Lawrence. I spent over 12 years as a police officer serving in some of the harshest environments Australia has to offer. Now working as a senior investigator, security intelligence and crisis management expert in London, I've had the chance to meet and speak with some of the brave men and women of law enforcement who found themselves at the front line of the world's most infamous investigations and global incidents. From the underworld of bikey gangs and the mafia to terrorist attacks of unthinkable magnitude. In this series, I'll sit down with these brave men and women to hear their first-hand accounts of these events and how they got there. Welcome to Protect and Serve. This just in, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center. Killer Zelfadeen Rezji has just entered the hotel grounds. He's looking for targets. The outcome in U.S. District Court today was not good for New Jersey boss Tony Pro Provenzano. Just how seriously the police are taking claims of abuse at the hands of Jimmy Savile came into sharp focus. In the UK, police identifying the suspect who killed two people on London Bridge. Police say they are investigating a suspected connection with a radical Republican organization, the new IRA. Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward. And freedom will be defended. Well, welcome to another episode of Protect and Serve with me, Oliver Lawrence, your host. And, you know, for the past 12 months, and it's 12 months really to today that I've been exploring the lives of police officers all over the United Kingdom and some overseas and reflecting on my own experiences in Australia. And part of my work in Australia was as a police liaison officer. And that was to support the many men and women on the front line who had difficulties or challenges dealing with certain incidents they come from where they were going to because you know they're very stressful and we don't always know how we're going to respond to each and every one of those incidents until we're faced with them so i was incredibly privileged to work alongside many fantastic men and women and to be able to support them in times of elevated stress or concern with the emotions that they were going through and uh, one of the greatest areas that i had in terms of support and being able to understand how better i could support people was going through police chaplaincy, which is a critically important function across the UK in supporting our men and women on the front line. And I'm so privileged today to be sitting with the acting National Police Chaplain, uh, the Reverend Dom Jones. Dom, welcome to the podcast. How are you this morning? Thank you so much for having me along. Um, I'm very well. Delighted to uh, be joining you and have this opportunity. So like every good detective, I like to wind back the clock and start right at the beginning. And I suppose I'd like my first question to you, Dom, would be, you know, you started out as a volunteer in police chaplaincy in 2012. What drew you into that direction? So I've always had 
what what we describe in the the, the faith world is a call to chaplaincy um to to get outside the 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 walls of the church i think um so i'm i'm an ordained anglican vicar uh, or priest um and but i've always felt that my calling was outside of the church walls when i was at vicar school um i was looking for opportunities to get involved in different things to do placements um and i contacted the national association of chaplains to the police um as it was then asked them for a placement um, and they offered me uh, a place on their training course um instead um and so I, I did a training course, really enjoyed it um, and uh, wrote up my placement report and thought nothing more of it. Um, I was then ordained and took on my first lot of parishes. Um, and then I got a call from uh, the national chaplain at that point saying, you know, that training course we paid for you to go on as a placement. Um, do you want to put it into practice? Um, and they assigned me my first police station, which was Falmouth uh, in Devon and Cornwall police. Um, and I began my work then uh, as a volunteer police chaplain for Devon and Cornwall Police, um, going in for a couple hours a week, really. Um, and there began my love of policing. So, and that's the intriguing thing, because I would imagine that part of your role as a police chaplain and the critically important role is developing a rapport with the officers, the men and women across multiple different areas of policing, such as Devon and Cornwall, whether it be the CID, whether it be firearms police officers, whether it be frontline emergency response police officers, that rapport is critical in allowing them to have the confidence to come and talk to you. Absolutely. Um, And for us as chaplains, it's all about relationship. Um, And the way that a chaplain works is building relationships. So for me as a volunteer chaplain, I used to visit my police station a couple hours every single week. In reality, it ended up a lot more than a couple hours. Um, but we'd, you'd go into the station, perhaps a box of cakes, always helps, um, and just get to know the cops. Some of that would involve walking around the station, chatting to people. But a lot of that for me as a volunteer chaplain involved going out with uh, our officers, out in the cars, out on foot patrol, just to get an insight into uh, what policing was back in 2012 and, and how how it felt to be a police officer at that time. And it got it got for me over the years that I was there that people knew that I was a chaplain who was willing to go out and about. Um, and that's how people would talk to me is they'd take me out. They'd say, oh, chaplain, I've got this job going on. Um, can, can I take you to see it? Um, and they'd take me out in their car. And that's when people would con- confide when we were in cars or out together on foot patrol. But it's it's a long process to build those relationships. Um, and it has to be done at the police's uh, rate. Um, and we have to be going in week in, week out, earning our stripes, showing that we are there to care for them, that we don't have any other agenda. We're not here to convert them or preach at them, but we are simply there to make relationships, to care for them and offer them someone to speak to. When you first set out in this role in 2012 as a volunteer police chaplain, what were the first things that really, I don't know, so much shocked you, but really kind of brought it to the to the front of mind in terms of how challenging the role of policing is? Um. So I think the first thing that I was shocked on was simply the level of crime. I think as a general member of public, you have no idea what is going on in your sleepy hometown or even county. Um, but getting an insight into to that world um, and realising what does go on day in, day out, for me, actually did come as a shock and was a steep learning curve to realise what our officers are going to every single day. Um, and then I think my... 
my, my journey then developed and, and it was realising that the sheer level of work that our officers were dealing with, the constant demands on, on the radio, um, uh, having to go out and, and deal with jobs. Um, and then I guess back in 2012, there was not quite the technology we've got now. So there was the constant going to jobs, but then having to come back to the station every single time to write something up. Um, and that real uh, dilemma of wanting to be out on the streets doing the police work, but having to, to be stuck uh, writing out the reports um, and, and, and that shocked me was the, the, the demands that they had um, and then the amount of time that they're having to spend writing things up back in stations. One of the questions I often ask many guests that come onto the show is that policing is an incredibly complex uh, vocation in terms of the legislation and policy and procedure that we, uh, we expect our officers to know. Uh, across many different subject matters, particularly our response police officers, whether it be a traffic crash, a shop theft, a domestic violence incident, um, all these types of different scenarios they can be asked to act upon suddenly, um, job after job after job. In terms of your role as a chaplain and your colleagues' role across the United Kingdom, how much sort of understanding do you need to know about some of the complexities of frontline policing? I think we need to be able to speak the language of the police. Um, so we do not need to know the ins and outs of PACE. Uh, that is that is not what we're here for. But we, we need to know the acronyms, the abbreviations, the language. Um, and it helps to have a bit of an idea of, of the type of things they're going to. And I think you can't help but when you're in the police world, just pick that up anyway. Um, you, we will, we hear what they're going to. Um, we accompany them out on jobs, um, and we are, we're fully vetted, so we're within police stations, um, and and we can hear what's going on. And so you pick that stuff up. I think it is vitally important that chaplains speak the language of police officers and they understand, uh, I say the acronyms and abbreviations. But yeah, we don't have to necessarily have a a, a working a working knowledge of of criminal law um but it certainly helps to have an idea um and to to be aware of what's going on um, and actually sometimes not knowing is helpful for us because that's a way into conversations so oh tell me about that what does that mean or what are you going to i don't really understand that abbreviation um, and sometimes can help unlock doors and uh, start conversations for us but certainly being able to speak the language of police officers definitely helps Police chaplaincy has been around uh, for a long time now. It's been an incredible support function to policing for a number of years. Is it still something that is is it is it something that police officers embrace? Is it something they're cautious about? What's your general feeling in terms of how police chaplaincy is received? So police chaplaincy has been around for a while. It, it's been around since the 1800s, uh, to, to be honest. But it's uh, only really started to to form and organise. Uh, in the 2000s um, and obviously where we are now in 2023 um i think police by their nature are skeptical um and uh, inquisitive as to what's going on um and so for us as chaplains it goes back to what i've already said we have to build relationship if we stick a poster on the wall and say we've got chaplains come and speak to them we're going to be sat in an office all day doing nothing um so our job is to build that relationship and build that trust so that people know that they can trust us and that they can come and talk to us and that we're not there to push our faith or try and convert them. So I think maybe not the, the it, 
so I think it's it's about making sure that police officers realise what our core function is, um, and and we and we do that by that relationship building, so that they know they know who we are, um, and then we earn our stripes. I think by by doing that, um, and so it does take a long time to build relationships. I run a team of of chaplains, um, and I will say to my team, you're looking at at least a year to build a relationship in a police station and to uh, get trusted. One of the crucial times that police chaplaincy I think is is brought to the fore and is critically important in supporting not only police officers but police officers families is when we lose one of our colleagues on the front line or any any particular capacity whilst they're operating in the position of a constable in policing and and police chaplaincy must be critically important in listening supporting particularly the officer who's involved families how obviously police chaplaincy has been involved tragically in a number of instances in the last few years what's the fundamental role of, of police chaplains during such a, a challenging time for police forces so i think you've already said it it's about being there for the families and their colleagues we know that policing is a big family and we talk about that all the time within policing um and when we lose one of our own it is deeply deeply felt by sometimes the whole of policing um, and our job as chaplains at those times is to come alongside the service uh, to come alongside the officers that we support to offer them someone to speak to someone to cry with if that's what they want um, and yeah to come alongside those families as well and again offer them uh, that that support let them know that we as representatives of the police family are there for them that we care there's nothing we can do to make this better but we are simply here with them as they go through the worst time in their life and then of course one of the major functions that uh, police chaplains will have will be preparing and taking those funerals for those those families Um, and that's something that sadly we're very well used to doing very well equipped Um, and if we can if we can help organise a fitting tribute to that officer through a funeral, then that can be an incredible support for those families. Um, and a police officer's funeral can be a complicated thing. Everyone will want to get involved um, and we have to manage uh, families and uh, colleagues, sometimes the press, sometimes the government if it's a, a death in the line of duty. Um, and, and having someone there as a chaplain who is experienced in this and can help to hold that together can be an incredible help for the families. But then of course our support doesn't end there. We will journey with families through out the years after they've lost someone we don't just say goodbye after the funeral they remain part of our policing family and we will be be there with them in the long run we will help to organize memorial events for them we may accompany them as they go to the national memorial event whether that be the national police memorial day or care of police survivors when they do their uh, annual service um, and and we are there journeying alongside our families um, for as, as long as they want our support um, there's no there's no time limit to the chaplaincy support um, and I think that's one of the, the, the beautiful things is that we can just be there with families helping them to to still keep that feeling of being part of the policing family um, and that we are still there for them. So 2017 you took up a full-time position with Hampshire Constabulary as a police chaplain. How have you found that role since taking up what we now six years in? What are some of the challenges that you face in your role as a chaplain with Hampshire Constabulary? So ultimately, I 
love my role. Um, I I left parish ministry um, and I became a full-time police chaplain um, and there's not a day goes by when I don't enjoy what I'm doing. It's an incredible privilege to serve our officers and our staff across Hampshire and the Isle of Wight. The challenges are, as with so many people, time, just having enough time to to get out there and to to be able to support the, the officers. And there's always a feeling of, I want to do more um, I want to offer more. Uh, I want to be able to be more present uh, across across the force. Um, and the challenges, and we've already touched on this, is the diversity and the work that officers are doing. It's so wide um, and it's so varied. And Hampshire's a, a fairly decent-sized county. It's not massive by any uh, thoughts of the imagination, but it's, it's a decent size and being able to cover that whole county uh, is, is a challenge. But I'm really lucky that I have a team of chaplains here um, in Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, uh, volunteer chaplains who are multi-faith and, and they're able to support the work uh, that we do and get out there and support our, our officers and staff. Because we know that policing is a really, really tough job. Um, and if we can provide any level of support, however small that may be, uh, then we are we're here to help. That's a really interesting point you make in terms of the fact of not only the challenges police officers face, but, you know, as a country, we're one of the that we've got the richest of cultures around different sort of nationalities and backgrounds and ethnicities and religious beliefs. How do we support officers or are we in a position to support officers from different faith backgrounds? Absolutely. We live in a multi-faith, multicultural world. And for many, if not all, it will be some form of faith or belief perspective that gives shape, meaning direction to life um, and so chaplains true to their own faith and belief will engage openly and honestly with those of all faiths and none first and foremost we are a listing ear but if people have got questions of faith uh, then we are more than happy uh, to to answer those if we can or help people explore those um, and across the uk chaplaincy teams will be multi-faith my own team here in hampshire near the white constabulary is a is a diverse team we're 21 chaplains and we represent six different faith groups uh, at the moment so the work of a lead chaplain is to recruit chaplains from different faith groups so that we can better represent the officers and staff uh, that we serve um, so a really good chaplaincy team will be a diverse chaplaincy team that, that represents uh, their their police force um, and will have people of lots of different faiths on it so that if people do have faith questions we are there to help answer those journey with them um, and also to, to help them when it comes to policing and people may officers may have questions about different faith groups um, and they may not know who to go to but if they can go to a chaplain who's of that faith then we can give them a really open and honest uh, answer and hopefully make them a, a better police officer as well. So you currently sit in the position of acting national police chaplain. It's a role which is also, if correct me if I'm wrong, sort of bolted onto the side and, and certainly engaged by the uh, National Police Chiefs Council. What's that relationship like in terms of having a good uh, relationship with National Police Chiefs? Because ultimately the welfare of their staff is critical to the success in delivering good policing services. I assume you've got to maintain a strong relationship to get that good work ethic happening between both organisations. So absolutely, the work of the the National Chaplain is to, to be just that, is to cover the whole of UK policing, to be the biggest cheerleader for chaplains uh, and the the ambassador and to build that relationship 
relationship with uh, with, with chief constables across the the UK, um, and and that's really that's really key. It's part of our role at Police Chaplains UK and the National Chaplain is to work with police forces to encourage them to take on chaplains. Not all police forces currently have full time uh, lead chaplains, um, and one of the major roles of a national chaplain is to work with uh, chief constables to overcome those barriers to answer the questions uh, that they may have and show them the true value of of chaplaincy. So the national chaplain role is an incredible role, um, sits uh, housed within the National Police Chiefs Council, uh, which is uh, in incredible for us because we, we know now that we've got that support from uh, the highest level within within policing. Um, and, and the national chaplain um, has that has that wonderful world of being kind of uh, sorry a wonderful role of being part of the whole world of, of policing right from uh, the very top and then uh, throughout all the different ranks and grades uh, and of course including our staff and our volunteers as well. Police officers and their families um, are not immune from the challenges of normal society, cost of living crisis, um, you know the stress of the job itself in terms of mental health crises you've often got families and, and children to worry about have you seen in your time in police chaplaincies some of these challenges that police officers facing getting more and more absolutely and i think mental health is is, is the key one um and we are seeing we, we we are seeing more people come to speak to to chaplains um because of the things that they are they are facing um and perhaps also because of awareness that it is okay to come and speak to someone um and, and that's always the challenge is uh that when, when you see more people using a service does it mean that uh, there's more people who are unwell or does it mean that uh, more people are aware of, of of that service but yeah we are we are seeing across policing uh, the challenges of of mental health um, and the challenges of what they are facing every single day um, and that drip 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 of constant trauma uh, is something that as chaplains if we can do anything to support them, then we are we are here for our officers to offer them someone to, to talk to, to debrief with after they've been to, uh, to, to, to an incident. Um, and if we can, through our work, keep even one officer healthy um, and able to enjoy their life, uh, then we definitely uh, earn our, our salaries. I, I, oft, I often talk about these challenges and being able to compartmentalise the many challenges that one is faced with in the role of, of a police officer. But equally, I suppose the question I'd like to ask you and, and that of your colleagues is how do you maintain that uh, self-awareness and self-ability to look after your own health when you're faced with speaking to people that are facing a number of different challenges? It's quite a, a burden that you take on, one that you're happy to take on. But how do you manage those stresses yourself? For us, we've got to practice what we preach. So we we will always say to people, you need to go and talk to someone, you need to offload to people, um, and we will absolutely practice what we preach. So as a lead chaplain, I provide someone for my team to come and speak to, to come and offload to. I will see them on a regular basis and, and provide them that person that they can uh, come and speak to. As a lead chaplain, I have someone that I go and see every six weeks um, and have that opportunity to offload to, to them. Um, it takes the form of a cross between pastoral supervision, but also um, for, for me, there's some spiritual side to that as well. As a person of faith, um, I, I need to have those opportunities to talk about uh, faith and how the, the things that I'm doing, seeing, listening to uh, affect my faith. So by having someone that I speak to, um, say, every six weeks is absolutely vital uh, for me. Um, and chaplains are engaged in, in clinical supervision, pastoral supervision as well. Um, so we absolutely must practice what we preach. We must make sure that we are talking 
talking to people. And, and we're also finding the ways to look after our own well-being. We, we say it to everyone, find something that, that you know refreshes your soul. Is that going out on dog walks? Is that going to the coast? Um, is it having a beer with your friends? Whatever that is, make sure that you're keeping that in, in, in your life. And, and, and we say exactly the same to, to chaplains, is, is make sure there are things there that you do outside of your chaplaincy uh, that absolutely refresh you and keep you going one of the chaplaincy's role especially at a national level is to assist with big events and i suppose one of the biggest events of the last 12 months that we've had and i'm intrigued to understand how chaplaincy supported the event was the death of her majesty queen elizabeth ii uh, she was uh, an incredible woman a woman of significant faith uh, a huge believer um in the people of this country and the commonwealth with such a large event with so many police resources deployed i'm going to assume that police chaplaincy played a, a massive role in 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 that event absolutely whenever you see large groups of police officers you should also see chaplains um and i say you should see actually the work of the chaplains is often uh, not seen by the general public um, and so we are often behind the closed doors or behind the police cordons um, and so uh, when Her Majesty uh, did die yeah chaplains were involved in that um, from very simple things um, in their local forces uh, leading services the the day after uh, that, that, she, that she died in my my force here in Hampshire in the Isle of Wight, uh, we held a service at our flagpole, we laid a wreath for her um, and we held a, a couple minutes uh, silence um, and, that, and that was immediately after uh, the, she died to so the next the next day. Um, and then obviously as time went on um, and we got to the date of her funeral, chaplains were heavily involved uh, in, in that. And again, it was behind the scenes. You're not going to uh, necessarily seen us, but we will be there supporting our police officers. So, uh, both in London uh, and in Windsor uh, and in other places across the UK, the chaplains were there. So I myself was uh, in Windsor working with the Thames Valley police chaplains. Um, uh, and, and a lot of the time what we're doing is just checking in with our police officers who are working. Lots of them, as we know, would have been working long hours, long shifts, may well have been deployed for a number of days. Um, and some of what we're doing is just that check in with them. We're not expected uh, at that point to be doing uh, long pastoral conversations with people um, but we're checking in we're being that smiley face uh, we're quite often uh, seen with a, a bag of sweets just to help pick up the sugar levels um, uh, and maybe even bring a smile to, to their face that they're working these, these hard situations uh, and just to be there and remind them that we care and if what you're doing does affect you then come and speak to a chaplain you might want to not want to do it today when you're on patrol walking around uh, London or walking around Windsor at the moment uh, but actually if you want to get in touch with us afterwards then don't forget we're here for you and, and so a lot of what we're doing is getting our face out there and re reminding our officers that we care and that we are here and wherever they are we should be too. Within the military, chaplains are deployed alongside uh, the military personnel, be it to uh, uh, a theatre of war or on a, a ship, for example, in the Navy. Chaplains are alongside their people in the military. And that's what we do with, within the police. We are alongside our officers. So wherever they are, we would be too. Um, so absolutely, after the death of Her Majesty, uh, there are there were hundreds of police officers working um, 
and that's where the chaplains should be. Um, and yeah, the public may never see us, um, and, and that's because our work is purely internal for our own officers, but we will be there, uh, we will be alongside them. Uh, and there's, there's other situations uh, where you, you will have seen chaplains uh, out and about, wherever there's large groups of, of police officers, I would expect that there will be groups of chaplains as well. So your role as the acting national police chaplain What's your remit within that role in terms of obviously you're holding the fort until sometime next year when a permanent person is appointed to that position for the time being, though, what's your strategic plans? What are you are you, are you responsible for manage, managing some of the 500 chaplains across the country? So so I'm, I'm on a. I'm on a temporary secondment uh, to to look after the role. Um, the previous placeholder left uh, in April and had done an incredible uh, job, uh, and we were very sad to to see him go. So so my role um, is a secondment for two days a week, uh, and to be a bit of a caretaker to ensure that some of the things that uh, he was doing are, are kept going, um, and also to pave the way for the new person uh, that is is coming. So. As national chaplain, I do cover the whole of the UK. Um, we don't have direct line management for the 500 chaplains that are out there. They're all managed by um, obviously their own their own forces, and, and that's one of the uh, challenges I, I think we see all across policing as well as you've got 40 very individual police forces doing things their own way, managed by a by a chief constable, um, and and that's the same for for chaplains. Is they're all part of the local forces, managed by a lead chaplain or a chaplaincy coordinator, and ultimately come under uh, a a chief constable. But part of my role will be to be their ambassador, to be their cheerleader. I've been going to lots of different functions and conferences at the moment, so I've been speaking at a number of different events to raise the profile of chaplaincy. Attending some National Police Chiefs Council meetings, be that on religion um, and belief or diversity, making sure that our voices is heard at that, engaging with our lead chaplains, making sure that they know that their their national chaplain is here for them to provide them support as well. Um, and, and generally just making sure that things are ready for when our new permanent uh, national chaplain comes in, which we hope will be towards the beginning of, of next year. We're currently live uh, with, with recruitment um, and we're looking forward to uh, lots of applicants coming in and, and finding our new national chaplain. There may be a number of people listening to this wondering, well, how do I become a police chaplain? How is that process commenced? As, as I've already mentioned, the majority of police chaplains are volunteers. They are drawn from their local faith community um, and they volunteer uh, normally a minimum of two hours per week in their local police force um, and that is the way to to get involved um, so if people are interested in becoming chaplains it's about getting in touch with the local lead chaplain um, and all details of lead chaplains can be found on our website policechaplaincy.uk um, so you get in touch with your local police force you find out um, have they got vacancies for uh, volunteer chaplains at the moment um, and assuming that they have uh, then you have to go through uh, an application and vetting process like anybody uh, in the police we are not exempt from anything at that um, and we are as i've already mentioned we are we are vetted as well and um, so you go for all of that process we police chaplains uk provides induction training we provide cpd training we provide conferences so once people are in uh, we help to develop them and maintain them as professional chaplains um but the, the real key is getting uh getting in contact with a local local force, a local lead chaplain uh, and offering offering time. Uh, and, and then any other roles that are um, involved in chaplaincy, be it lead chaplains or indeed the, the national chaplain role, are all advertised on, on our website. But the majority of our 500 chaplains are all dedicated volunteers who give up their time uh, to support our police officers. 
And that's an interesting point to come on because I, I suppose I'm wanting to understand sort of what makes up a police chaplain. What are the sort of backgrounds of the individuals that come from police chaplaincy? So all of our police chaplains will be people of faith, um, drawn from their local faith communities. Some of them may be involved in leadership. So they may be uh, vicars, they may be imams, they may be temple priests. Um, some of them will be lay people um, who are members of their local congregation or faith community. But what we what we are looking for from chaplains is ultimately people who care, people who want to look after our police officers and our staff and provide them someone to listen to. Um, and the skills that we're looking for are people who have got exceptional listening skills. We as chaplains need to learn when it's time to shut up and just listen. Um, and that's what we're looking for, for for chaplains is people who can provide a safe space for anyone to be truly themselves. They We need chaplains who are able to work across the diversity of policing, engage with police officers of all ages and genders and faiths and backgrounds, um, uh, and really be able to, to work across the diversity that is policing uh, UK uh, and just provide that listening ear. So absolutely, we must learn to, to listen more than we speak um, uh, and provide that safe space for people to be, to be themselves and to be heard um, and for their stories to be told. One of the greatest challenges that faces British policing at the moment is retention. It's keeping the men and women that support us day in, day out on the front lines, um, you know, responding to the needs and expectations of the communities in, in an ever complex society of social media and, and other forms of, uh, of publications which challenge the very heart of policing. Policing is going through a period where uh, its ethics and integrity are being challenged because of the acts and the and the abhorrent acts of a, a small minority. What's the sort of strategy from, from a chaplain's perspective in maintaining and supporting morale to help try and keep some of the officers that are thinking about leaving the service in the service? So I think one of the things that chaplains can do is we get in there really early with the new recruits. Um, so most forces will have their chaplains speaking to their, their new recruits. Um, I, in Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, speak to new recruits on day two um, that, that, that they've come in um, and, and let them know about the services that we offer um, and that we are here to, to care for them. And I think one of the big things we can do is make sure that they know that they're not alone um, and that they've got someone that they can come and speak to um, so that if they are finding that things are tough and they're considering whether this is the right career for them, then maybe they think, oh, I'll turn to a chaplain um, and go and uh, go, go, go and speak to a chaplain about the issues that, that I'm facing. Uh, and then the rest of the work that we do to help with that will be the day in, day out work that we are doing uh, quietly alongside police officers, offering them that person to, to come and speak to um, and to be heard. Um, and ultimately, we, we, we are there to support the individuals uh, and to work with them. Um, and there are times when it is right that people step away from policing because it's no longer the right career for them um, and, and I think our job is to, to help people know when that is the right time but also to know when they've still got so much more that they can give um, and, and work with them to, to find ways that they, they, they can stay um, and the beauty of, of a chaplain is we don't hold any rank, we don't hold any seniority across the force and so sometimes we can speak to to people that others that others can't, um, we act as critical friends to an organisation as well. Um, so sometimes we can we can speak truth to power. Um, and I think there are opportunities for us as chaplains to be able to to speak out to, to forces um, and, and tell them sometimes honestly what's going on um, and maybe sometimes what's gone wrong as well. What are some of the challenges that you envisage for police chaplaincy over the next five to ten years? 
So I think police chaplaincy is on a, a real journey. Um, we are we're so excited that we're recruiting for a new national chaplain, um, and that's a that's a big thing for us. Um, Police Chaplaincy UK as a professional body is working towards being much more professional um, and being the one-stop shop for our chaplains to come to to get their training uh, and their, their, their CPD. Um, and and, and that, that's definitely a big thing for us over these next five years uh, is to really professionalise the work of, of, of Police Chaplaincy. And then I think on a personal level, like the whole world, um, we're struggling with retention as well. Um, and we're, we're finding that... Uh, because of the cost of living crisis, people may have uh, less ability to volunteer um, and we rely on volunteers. So um, our challenge is to keep our numbers up, to, to keep recruiting. Um, and, and I think where where we see chaplaincy going is that every force in the United Kingdom will have a paid full time lead chaplain. Uh, and, and that is our vision. And that's a, a big job for our national chaplain is to work with these forces so that we can provide what we believe is the gold standard of, of chaplaincy, which is a, a full time lead chaplain leading a team of, of volunteer chaplains. Um, so that would be my vision um, and my dream over the next five to 10 years is that every police force in the UK has got uh, really well organised professional chaplains led by a full-time lead. What do we currently have across the United Kingdom in terms of those permanent roles? Uh, so we've got uh, 11 police forces who employ a full-time uh, lead chaplain, about the same who have a part-time uh, lead chaplain, uh, and then that leaves 20-odd uh, forces um, who have either got volunteer lead chaplains or uh, their chaplaincies are led by their wellbeing teams or their quality and inclusion teams. Um, and we have got some fantastic volunteer lead chaplains out there. I, I am not uh, wanting to diminish the work that they, they do, uh, but we think uh, on a national basis, the police forces need to put their money where their mouth is uh, and start to pay for their, their chaplaincy. Is there an international element? Because sometimes policing does cross borders. You know, we see some of our sort of victim identification officers traveling overseas to, to to countries where they're called upon to help with major disasters such as tsunamis and other big events which go on around the world is is, is police chaplaincy sort of a global go where policing goes yeah so there are police chaplains all across the world um the united states have got uh very well entrenched chaplains within their their, their, their forces um Many of them will have full-time teams of chaplains and departments of chaplains uh, within within the USA. Um, and there are there are chaplains uh, in other countries um, who work similarly to us uh, with volunteers. Um, and then there are other countries will have uh, much smaller uh, chaplaincies um, where maybe they have just one one chaplain for for an entire uh, police force. But yeah, it is it is global, um, and we would hope that as you as you move around the world. Uh, in your policing career that you would come across some guise of chaplaincy uh, at some point. One of the other events that you and I spoke about before we hit the record button on this episode was sort of the impact you'd had around sort of D-Day 75 and sort of the work that the chaplaincy did around that particular event. Talk us through that particular day, those, those events and sort of the impact chaplaincy has. I jumped off the ramp as quickly as possible, holding the bagpipes above my head and I landed in the water up to my waist. There was a lot of noise, the sound of automatic fire and what appeared to be mortar shells bursting on the beach away to the right. I placed a bagpipe on my shoulder, blew them up and started to play Hail Laddie as I waded the few yards to the beach. I shall never forget hearing the skirrle of Bill Millen's pipes. It is hard to describe how it had 
It gave us a great lift and increased our determination. As well as the pride we felt, it reminded us of home and why we were there fighting for our lives and those of our loved ones. I look back on it as a big part of my life. It changed me in a way. But I was just a small part in a very big machine. I'm honoured to be stood here today in front of so many other veterans. You never forget your comrades because we're all in it together. It's right that the courage and sacrifice of so many is being honoured 75 years on. We must never forget. Thank you. It is with humility and pleasure on behalf of the entire country, indeed the whole free world, that I say to you all, thank you. We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know where, but I know we'll meet again some sunny Just like you always do When the blue skies chase the dark clouds far away Yeah, so D-Day 75 is a very local event uh, that took place um, on, on my patch, um, so in Portsmouth. Um, and that was obviously a, a, big, a big day for, for Hampshire and the Isle of Wight Constabulary. Um, and because that was such a big day for, for my police force, it felt right that me and my team were out working with our, our officers. Um, and so uh, for that day, there were six chaplains deployed all day. Uh, we started about half past five in the morning uh, and went on uh, until uh, late in the evening, as did our officers um and for those for those events there was a massive policing presence uh, brought in from all over the uk so lots of mutual aid uh, and one of the roles we had there was very similar to what i said about with the death of her majesty was being that friendly face that smiley face um I, I recall it was a particularly warm day, um, so one of the, the very practical roles we did was to carry around bottles of water and to help help officers who, who needed needed water support the ops teams who were already doing that. Um, I've already alluded to the to the sweets, always got a bag of sweets to, to help pick up the, the sugar levels and the morale levels. Um, and a lot of what we were doing there was, again, being that smiley face. And um, sometimes these big events um, are not quite as exciting as they seem, I think, for some police officers if they're maybe stood on a post guarding an entrance all day because their VIP is coming in out. Um, and sometimes just to have someone to come and say hello to them, ask them how they're doing, um, change the subject for a, a little bit of the, their, their, their view. Um, and and that's, that's one of the things that, that, that we can do. Um, a chaplain at these events will have the ability to, to go all across the event. Um, uh, of course, we've got police, police ID, so we'll be able to, to move behind the, the barriers and the cordons um, and just get in there and see officers who, who, are, who are working. Um, and sometimes just a smile. Hi, how are you doing? How's it going? Uh, how's your day going? Um, it, it is enough. Um, and yeah, there are times when uh, we can we can help with some of the very practical things. If we get there and realise they've not had uh, a water or a lunch break yet, uh, then uh, we've got that ability to be able to go and speak to the right people and say, oh, did you know Officer D, who's been on this station for the last five hours, hasn't had a break yet? Is there any way we can help to move them and, and just remind the organisation? Because uh, sometimes these things do, do, do get lost. Um, and so... 
yeah, we are we we are we are there being that smiley face, saying hello to our, our officers, and hopefully just boosting their morale and 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 reminding them, as I've already said, we care, we're here for you. So talking about your own career, obviously it's been incredible to date in terms of you're leading the the National Police Chaplain Organisation and supporting chaplains up and down the country. Where do you see yourself going in terms of sort of your progression, your career of chaplaincy? What are the different projections that you could take? So I see myself within police chaplaincy for a long time. I love what I do, um, absolutely. And I have definitely found my calling um, and it is to be here with our police officers and stuff. Um, I'm really open to what the future holds. Um, I'm not going to be the next national chaplain. Um, it's not the right time for, for me and my family. Um, the role does involve uh, a lot of travel. Um, and so as much as I'm enjoying it at the moment on a temporary basis, uh, I've decided I won't be throwing my hat in the ring uh, when it comes to that. Um, but actually, I'm really excited to be part of uh, the recruitment, the interview, um, and then helping to induct the, the new national chaplain. Um, and yeah, I think personally, I'm just excited about what the future may hold. I've got no no plans to go anywhere from uh, my my local force for, for a while. I love what I do here. Um, things are, are really exciting here in New Hampshire, Hampshire and the Isle of Wight. New Chief Constable uh, being with us, so lots of change happening, um, and that's always uh, exciting to be to be part of. Um, and yeah, I, I'm open to, to the future. Obviously, as a person of faith, um, I believe that God's got uh, a little bit to play uh, in that, so uh, I'm open to seeing where, where God may lead me um, and, and what opportunities uh, come, come around, but I am absolutely committed to police chaplaincy. Um, when I hand over the uh, role of uh, national chaplain, I will uh, revert to being the chair of Police Chaplain to UK. So we are a registered charity uh, run by a board of trustees of which I, I'm the chair. Um, uh, and I'm looking forward to being able to, to get back uh, into the, the, the chair's role. Um, uh, I, I took on the national chaplain not long after being elected as chair. So I'm looking forward to being a dedicated a bit more time to, to being the chair um, and, and helping Police Chaplain to UK with, with our, our mission, which is bringing chaplaincy to the heart of policing. You brought up an interest, an interesting point there in terms of the relationship with the new chief constable. We often talk about the challenges of frontline staff, uh, those that are responding to the 999 calls and the many different demands that the public places upon its uh, police officers in terms of responding to their needs and expectations, as we've outlined. But we, we can't forget about the senior leadership teams within these forces that are carrying the burden of managing huge budgets, large staff portfolios, um, the challenges of governance and being accountable to police and crime commissioners, councillors and the Home Secretary. Those, these are the officers that you must also touch base with quite regularly to help them sort of navigate those challenges. Absolutely. I would, I, I would be expecting that all lead chaplains uh, at least are the chaplain to their chief constable um, and they they need to work like they do with any police officer on having a relationship with him or her and providing them someone that they can speak to um, and be the, the confidant and the listening ear. It's an incredible privilege to to be able to do that. And I would expect lead chaplains uh, all across the country are, are doing that. They're working really closely, really quietly with, with their chief constables uh, and providing them someone that they can speak to because, yeah, it's it's a tough job um, and not always the most popular job. Um, and so if uh, if we can be chaplain to our chiefs, uh, then that's an incredible privilege as well. So to the many, many thousands of people that listen to this podcast and many of them are serving police officers, if they have 
challenges or issues and probably maybe as a result of listening to you have got more of a confidence or want to engage with police chaplaincy or to seek out their local chaplain to have a talk because they're going through a difficult period in their lives or they want to understand more about the organisation how can we get in touch with you? So you can get in touch with me via the Police Chaplaincy UK website via my Twitter um, at Hans Police Chat via Police Chaplains UK's Twitter, Poll Chaplains UK. Um, and actually, you can get in touch with your local chaplains as well. Um, every force has got some form of, of chaplaincy. Um, and I would encourage you, if you've been listening to this and you think, I want to speak to my local chaplain, find out who they are. Um, you should have details on your intranet, your no zones, whatever whatever you have uh, where, you, uh, where you go to find out information. Your chaplain's details should be listed there if you don't already know who they are. Um, and ultimately, if you can't find your local chaplain, then come to us nationally. Um, we have got lists of all chaplains. All lead chaplains are listed on our website um, and you can contact us through our, our website. Um, and we are always here to, to listen. Um, and if, if we can't find you, uh, your your local chaplain, um, then on a national uh, basis, we, we are here. We will always make sure that you've got someone uh, that can listen to you if you need to speak. And when I release this episode, I will put all these links in the narrative on the different podcast platforms that people listen to. So they've got links through to not only uh, Dom himself, but please chaplaincy. And we'll put some links in there to some of the bigger forces across the country where people can have a touch point to those chaplains. But Don, it's been a, a fascinating uh, 45 minutes of conversation to learn more about the intricacies of police chaplaincy, which is so critically important in supporting not only our frontline police staff, but administrative staff and, and all of those involved in delivering a policing service right up and down the United Kingdom. As I say, meeting the needs and expectations of the communities, which is becoming more and more demanding. There are more and more challenges out there. So to have people like yourself behind the scenes helping and supporting that friendly face, that bag of sweets, whatever it is that perks up our members and keeps them you know, in a, in a better mood and in a better thinking and have an ability to sit down and talk with someone when there are challenges, I think is a as you say, there's no greater honour. I think it's a fantastic support network. So on behalf of my little team here at the Protect and Serve podcast, thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for all of your colleagues across the UK providing the support function. And we wish you all the very, very best in the selection of the new national chair for police chaplaincy uh, and, and everybody the very best in the next five, ten years. It sounds like it's an exciting journey that you're all embarking on. Thank you. It is our absolute honour and privilege to support the police officers, staff, volunteers and their families of the United Kingdom. This podcast is brought to you by the Public Safety Foundation. The Public Safety Foundation and its supporters are on a mission to make the UK the safest place to live, work and raise a family. This crime-fighting mission is one that many of Protect and Serve's guests have contributed to. Find out more and join those already supporting the Foundation's mission by visiting publicsafetyfoundation.uk. Protect and Serve is an independent podcast hosted, produced and edited by Oliver Lawrence.